Grab your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Exodus, Exodus 27. Have y'all, see, if you didn't come from a Pentecostal charismatic um, background, you probably not, this probably ain't going to make sense to you. But we would have those Holy Ghost services, and then we would walk out and go, my God, the Holy Ghost took over so much that the preacher didn't even get to preach. Y'all know, y'all know what I'm talking about? Well, the Holy Ghost hit this room in the 830 service, and I didn't even get to preach. So I'm going to preach twice as long in this service right here. Powerful, powerful time, and I, I feel the residue, the, the remnants of that, even in this moment. Exodus chapter 27. Be, before we get into it, can we just do our stewardship decrees? Can we do our stewardship decrees? Every, almost every single day, I get a message of what God is doing um, in people's lives, in pe- people who are faithful stewards' lives. So we're going to decree these things by faith. You ready? As we stand in faithful stewardship of all you have given. Come on. We decree by faith jobs and better jobs, raises and bonuses, benefits, sales, and commissions, favorable settlements, estates, properties, and inheritances, strategic investments, interest and income, rebates and returns, checks in the mail, scholarships and grants, Gifts and surprises, finding money, debts paid or canceled, expenses are decreasing and blessings are increasing. Thank you, Lord, for supplying all of my financial needs that I may have more than enough to sow into the kingdom of God and be an example of what the favor of God looks like to those I encounter. In Jesus' name, somebody say amen. Can I brag on Jesus? Can I brag on Jesus? You're in this room, and I didn't do this in the first service, but my daughter graduates high school in just a few weeks. Thank God. Thank God. And she she filled out several applications to be accepted in, in many different schools, and with each school, because of her academics and different things like that, she was able to get qualified for scholarships and things like that. And I didn't realize it, but they totaled all those things together at the school that she attends. And she's got over a half a million dollars worth of scholarships. And she ain't gonna use none of them. She's going in a completely different direction. But we've been decreeing scholarships and grants. And even if she's not going to use them, they're still sitting there for her. It has now become an option. Be honest, y'all don't hear what I'm saying. I thank God for Glenn. I'm not. If y'all looking at me thinking the preacher, you made the mistake of this is a dad talking. Thank God for that. See, my kids graduated with good grades. Some people graduated summa cum laude. I graduated, thank the good Lordy. You understand? You understand? It took me five years to get a four-year degree. I went through so much school, they thought I was going to be a doctor. Well, how long you been in school? That long? No. <laughs> okay, I thank the good Lord. I just thank God for that. I thank God for that. Amen. Won't he do it? 
I want to do. I'm going to preach to you. Um, we're t- continuing this series on the tabernacle. And I'll just remind you by way of introduction that, that this is the, the goal of God, Exodus 25, that I may dwell with my people. The reason why they started the tabernacle of Moses in the Old Testament is because God did not want to be some floating somewhere. He wanted to be in relationship dwelling with his people. We're talking about the altar, the brazen altar today. Exodus 25, verse 8. That I may dwell among them, but it has to be according, verse 9, according to the pattern in which I show you. This is where God wanted to meet with his people from the very beginning. It's interesting to me because the glory of the Lord traveled with Moses and then also with Joshua. When David came on the scene, God said, I don't want to always be traveling with the glory, but I want to set the glory up. I want to set a glory hub that people can come to. We know it today to be Solomon's temple. That is now, we have remnants, ruins of that because of different civilizations that came in and took over the nation of Israel over the, over the, the generations, over the years. And he said, the goal is I want to set up a glory hub where you know that when you come here, you'll be in my presence. And today is no different. There, there's this generation of church where we want to chase the glory. I don't want to chase the glory. I want the glory to know it can rest right here. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians tells us that it's Christ in you. That is the hope of so the goal of God is not to set up a glory hub that you have to go to. The, glory, the, the goal of God is to put his glory within you. That wherever you are, the glory of the Lord goes. And then when we gather in moments like this, it's manifested, magnified glory because of what he's doing individually that we've united corporately for. This is the goal of church. It's the picture of this in the Old Testament. You see it on the screen. That there was an outer court, there was an inner court, and there was a holy of holies of the most holy place. We, last week, we came through the gate. This gate that had purple and, I mean, blue and, and red and purple. He was the son of God. He was the son of man. He was the king of kings. The moment you enter the gate, you now come to the first piece of seven pieces of furniture. And this piece of furniture is called the brazen altar. The brazen altar. Because altars are big deals to God. In the book of Genesis chapter 8, you see Noah built an altar. In Genesis chapter 12, Abraham built an altar. In Genesis 35, um, Isaac built an altar. In Genesis, I mean, Genesis 35, Jacob built an altar. In Exodus 17, Moses built an altar. In Joshua chapter 8, Joshua built altars. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, David built an altar. And even in 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah, before the fire fell at Mount Carmel, he repaired the altar. There has always been an altar experience. For God, A-L-T-A-R, altar. It is not to A-L-T-E-R, change, but a A-L-T-E-R happens at the A-L-T-A-R. It's a place. It's a place. The old church understood this principle of coming to the altar. I, rem- I remember. It was in my generation. It was in my generation Every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, some of y'all don't know what that's about, but we used to have another church service on Sunday called Sunday night. We would, we would come to the church, and even on Wednesdays, everybody at the end of those services would come to the altar. Watch this. Interesting. There's a paradox change. A paradigm shift took place. It was the people who did not feel worthy 
they're the ones who wouldn't come forward. So it was easy to be prophetic because anybody who didn't feel worthy to come to the altar, oh, maybe I just felt like the Lord wanted me to come get you. Because it was the people with issues that wouldn't come forward. I don't know why it happened in my generation, but now it's only the people with issues that will come forward. Because people in, in the generations before my generation understood that we had to be altar dwellers. Because powerful things take place at the altar. Significant things. They lived, the old church lived in the altars. We would have entire services called tarrying services. Where we would just get on our face at the altar of God and cry out to the Lord. And, and the old church lived there. And now the new church removes those experiences for the sake of the crowd. So we have great crowds, but we don't have great encounters. The altar is not a place of condemnation. The altar is a place of opportunity for encounter. This, this brazen altar that we're speaking of today, as you can tell, it is a massive piece of, throw that image for me, Elijah. It is a massive piece of furniture. It's the first thing you will engage if you're to get through the gate. It is four and a half feet tall, and it is seven and a half feet long or wide. It is square. It, it is the biggest piece of furniture of all seven pieces of furniture. It is massive because what happens here is a really, 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 really big deal. It, it's the first thing, watch this, and it's the largest of the seven. And Bible scholars tell you that all six other pieces of furniture could actually fit inside of the brazen altar. They couldn't carry it that way because each piece was required to be carried separately. But all six other pieces could be put inside of the brazen altar and all be carried if, they, if God had allowed it because of how massive the altar experience is supposed to be. The altar. It, it was the place of offerings. Watch this. It was the place to receive the offering, not to petition for one. And many of us see the altar experience as someone's always wanting something from me. But an altar experience is not where you have to do something. The altar is where you get to do something. It's not what's required of you. It's a picture of what should be required of you that is now being done for you. So with thanksgiving, you come to this experience because you know what happens ultimately to this animal should really be happening to me. See, ladies and gentlemen, I believe it's even in 2023 that people have promised they know they need the altar. They know they need it. Because what happens here, if it truly happens here, that means it doesn't have to happen here. 
Oh, I know where I'm going. If it will happen at the altar, that means it won't be required to happen to me. If I can get it to the altar, it doesn't have to get to me. If I can cast it on the altar, that means life can't cast it on me. This is so important that lives and people and situations and things are altered at the altar. There are many of us that are living situations we don't have to. But we're not altered because we haven't come to the altar to be altered. It hasn't turned around because we've not brought it to God. When God can say, I know this is an old school message. Are we okay? I, I know we, we, we would rather have the crowds. I would rather have the encounter. It's so funny to me culturally because there are many cultures that understand this principle and there are many people that have been trained this way. One of my favorite things to ha that happen, I, most often I'll slide in and I'll stand in the back and just worship from the back because I like to watch and pray. And one of my favorite things that happen is many, there are many of us that come into this room and when we first come into this room, there are many people that the first thing they do is they sit down all of their stuff and they turn around, they get on their knees in front of their chair and they pray. What they're doing is they're creating an altar. And they're saying, before I'm qualified to go into his presence, I need to make sure my heart, my spirit, and my mind is right. So I'm going to bend my knee in my seat and say, Lord, purge me. Take care of me. If there's being any sin that would keep me from the sanctity of this encounter, I release it to you now so that I can worship with clean hands and a pure heart. I'm not saying all of us should be doing that. I'm saying I love the people that have that kind of mindset. That I don't want to come in here and get clean. I want to be clean before I ever engage so that God can do the complete work in my life. The, the altar. Exodus 27 1 through 8 is where you'll see the dimensions and the pattern that God requires of this brazen altar. But for the sake of time, I'm just going to read the two verses. And You shall make an altar of acacia wood, five cubits long and five cubits wide, and the altar shall be square. And its height shall be three cubits. And you shall make, the, it make its horns on its four corners, and its horns shall be of one piece with it, and you shall overlay it with bronze. I'm not going to get into all the dimensions of this, but it's four and a half feet tall. And it's seven feet, seven and a half feet wide. And it is required to have horns in all four corners. The, the word altar has two definitions in the Old Testament. Watch this. It means ascending. And it also means the place of slaughter. It is the place, the altar is the place of slaughter, but it is also the place of ascension. So while one thing is being laid down, in the next dimension it's being raised up. It is dying and ascending, living at the same time. It is a picture of Jesus in the tomb. He died and he gave up the ghost. 
but then he was raised to life. At the altar, there is a death and a resurrection. There is a slaughter and an ascending that takes place. That means that as things die in me, other things begin to live greater in me. In other words, the things I offer to God lift me as I offer it. This, this particular brazen altar is where ultimately they would bring their lambs and their bulls. And, and I'll deal with the sacrifice itself next week in, in, in detail. But they would bring their lambs and their bulls because there was a qualification for the offering. Sinless and spotless. We'll mess with that next week. Most of us just want to bring God our bull. Our altar experience is really about God taking care of our bull. We want him to, oh, um, this is next week. We want him to only have access to the bull in our life. But, okay. Uh, it was built with a grate over top of it, and I just wasn't going to do all that. It was built with a grate over top of it where coals would be set on it. I'll talk about how the fire started next week as well. And they would take the lamb, they would take their bull and they would throw it on the altar. And there was a, a grate that would sit over it that was sitting on top of it. But underneath it was hollow. Watch this. So that the wind could catch the fire and oxygenate the fire to create more heat, to burn more of the sacrifice in a greater way. So the wind would blow over it and under it. That everything that would happen with the fire would have the necessary oxygen to create the encounter. Y'all know what happened. All you have to do is ride by Jim and Nick's on the way home and roll down the window. When you get meat with a fire and the wind will carry the aroma. So before you ever even get into the restaurant, you already smell the fire that has connected to the sacrifice. Oh God. This is my prayer for Judah Church. That by the time you open your door or roll down your window, you have already captured the aroma of the fire of God with the sacrifices of his people. And you're sitting here going, oh my goodness, we got to hurry and get in there. Oh my goodness, they, God is cooking something up big in there. God's got something. Oh, oh my goodness. Have you ever ridden by? Oh God, have mercy. Have y'all ever ridden by Burger King? I'm not a paid advertiser for Burger King, but I could ride by McDonald's, and what I smell most often is grease. But when I ride by Burger King, that's a flame-broiled Whopper. Do you understand what that means? That means there's not a grill back there. There's a fire back there. And that fire will catch the... Oh, God have mercy. We might be going to Burger King today. I'm going to have it my way. I'm going to have it my way. It's so stupid. It will catch that aroma. Am I the only one? And you're like, I don't even like Burger King by nature. 
I'm not a fan. I don't like their fries. I don't like the onion rings. And they don't make good sweet tea. But they know how to flame broil that Whopper. You, you understand? I can ride by and I'm like, oh, and there's something will get on the inside of me. And I'll begin to crave. For all you vegans and vegetarians, thank you. That's just more meat for me. So stupid. But it carries an aroma. Burger, uh, McDonald's carries an aroma. Jim and Nick's carries an aroma. Judah Church carries an aroma. And if you find a house that has no aroma, it's because either there's no fire or there's no sacrifice. Y'all don't hear what I'm saying. It may carry an opinion. It may carry good marketing. But it don't carry an aroma because either there's no fire or there's no sacrifice. But thanks be unto God that this is a house that understands altars. Where we'll bring the sacrifice of praise. And we'll let the fire of God do what he wants to do. And it carries the aroma by the time you roll down your window. Oh, there's something different here. And hopefully it's called glory. It's called glory. Okay. Are we all right? Everybody good? So they, they were required by God, Exodus 27, verse 2, that at all four corners they would put horns. Now, if you came from old school church, you've heard mothers pray and fathers pray. They would say to grab hold of the horns of the altar. They were literally saying that when you get to the altar, to grab hold to the horns of the altar and don't let go. What they were doing, what they were saying was a prophetic picture of what happened in the tabernacle of Moses. Because at all four corners, they were required to have horns. Horns. These four horns represented four things that took place at the altar. Number one, one horn represented the horn of redemption. Now, if you were at our um, Easter Good Friday service, you heard this. And let me just tell you, I will preach this every year for the rest of my life. Because there are many of us that don't, don't understand what redemption did for you because you don't understand you. And if you understand redemption, you would understand your value in much greater ways. So I will always preach the four horns of the altar. Number one, the first horn is redemption. Everybody say redemption. redemption. That word redemption, watch this, it means to buy back for possession of. In other words, when I'm redeemed, in other words, it means I was once this. I was once in possession of. And because of whatever happened, whether it was sin or whether it was loss or mishandling or whatever, I was pushed away or I fell away. And God came back at the altar because of the sacrifice next week. And he redeemed me. He bought me back. In other words, I was once his. You do realize you did not start living when you started breathing. You are an eternal being. I am an eternal being. 
Most of us think we're a earthly being having spiritual experiences on Sunday. But we are not earthly beings having spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings that are existing in an earthly experience for however many years God has us here. But you were spiritual before you were ever earthly or, or, or in this realm. And we once belonged to him. And when he redeemed us, he bought us back into right standing. He redeemed me. And most people struggle with their redemption because they're not altar dwellers. Altar dwellers are always reminded that they're redeemed. That's why we say things like, let the redeemed, let the ones who have been bought back say so. Because there's power and authority in our redemption. No, number two, the other horn represented ransom. Now, if you've ever used a coupon, then you should understand this. If you've ever used a Groupon, you should understand this. That if you are going to redeem something, that what it means is this ticket is equal in value to whatever it is I'm getting. You buy one and you get one free. You bring the ticket or the Groupon or the coupon and it will ransom whatever the required price is. How many are redeemed in this room? Watch this. How many of you know what your ransom was? See, this will be revelation for some of you. Those of you that struggle with identity issues, those of you that struggle with insecurity, those of you that struggle with these things of feeling low and not understanding your value, undervalued, is because you don't understand your value. When you understand that you not only were redeemed, but you were ransomed, God didn't come in in the still of the night and strip you out of your bed. He came down right in front of the devil and everybody and said, I'm going to give you their value. And when he looked at all of his creation, he realized that your value was not equal to an angel. They were beneath you. It was not equal to a lamb. They were beneath you. It was not equal to a bull. It was beneath you. It was not, your value was not even equal to another human. In order for God to find your value for your ransom, watch this, he had to look in his own mirror. And when you understand that the only thing that is equal in value to God was himself. That's why he gave his only begotten son. Because that is how valuable he sees you. Mm. So it's at the altar. We understand our redemption. It's at the altar that we begin to understand our value. Number three, redemption, ransom, substitution. This is the power of the altar. Is in substitution. Do, do you know what it means? It means literally to take the place of. Substitution. Come here, son.
that at the altar, what should happen is Noah should die for his sins. He should be the one that is thrown on the altar, have his neck slit so that his blood can flow out of him, his body be burned to ash. That's what should happen. But God allowed substitution. And God said, you deserve to be thrown on this altar. But I'm going to take a lamb and let him be your substitute. You deserve to have your neck cut and all of your blood spill out. But I'm going to allow this lamb to have its neck cut and all of its blood spill out. You deserve for your body to be burned on the altar. Substitution. But I'm going to allow the body of this lamb to be burned for your sins. Substitution. Now, unless you have it caught on, there was a lamb for all sin. Okay? Let me give it to you according to Isaiah. You ready? You deserve to be wounded for your transgressions. Substitution. He was wounded for our transgressions. You deserve to be bruised for your iniquities. Substitution. He was bruised for our iniquities. You deserve to be chastised and have no peace. But he took the chastisement, substitution, of our peace. You deserve for your back to be slashed open with 39 lashes from the cat of nine tails. But I'm not going to allow that substitution. And by his stripes, we are healed. He allowed substitution at the altar. And then number four, finally, the fourth horn. It's reconciliation. Ladies and gentlemen, he didn't just redeem you and me. He reconciled us. Every accountant in this room should be leaping for joy. Because ultimately what it means is he balanced the scales. I was so dead in my trespasses. And he was so alive in his perfection. That when he came in and he became my substitute, he balanced the scales. And he brought me back into harmony with the Father. Y'all, the Father can't look at sin. Yet he calls me the apple of his eye. The reason why I can be the apple of his eye, though he cannot look at sin, is because of what Jesus has done to reconcile me back to him. But you see, for people who really understand the power of the altar, this is not a church thing, it's a lifestyle. Because I'm redeemed here. I'm ransomed here. Substitution is reminded to me and reconciliation with the Father happens at the altar. At the altar. This, this altar is very interesting. Throw that last image for me. Um, Elijah, thank you. They would kill this animal. 
they would slit its throat. Watch this. While the, uh, while the animal was dying, I'm trying not to get ahead of myself for next week. Although I have so much material. They would throw the lamb or the bull on the altar and they would tie the lamb to the altar. The horn specifically of the altar. So that it couldn't get up and run away. Because let's face it, nobody really wants to give all of themselves up. Next week. So they would tie the lamb, the bull, to the horn of the altar while it bled out. Pastor, this is just gross. This, this is just, you ready? This is inhumane. I, I'm not comfortable with this type of abuse that is happening to animals. This is how horrible our sin is. God didn't do this, we did. Our sin required this horror. It wasn't God who sinned against us. It's us who sinned against Him. And if you think what this lamb went through is abusive and unnecessary, imagine what our Savior went through. They would tie this lamb to the horn until it bled out. And then they would untie it. Once it is dead. Underneath, they had basins. They had pitchers that would catch the blood. And then the priest would come in, and he would pour part of that blood on the horns of the altar. The horn of the altar would have blood poured over it from the sacrificial lamb. They petitioned this brazen altar. I feel like running now. They positioned this brazen altar that all four horns were pointed in strategic directions. One horn would be pointed to the north. One horn would be pointed to the south. One horn would be pointed to the east. And the other horn would be pointed to the west. One would be pointed towards the north. And then they would pour blood all over it. One would be pointed to the east. And they would pour blood all over it. One would be pointed to the west. And they would pour blood all over it. One would be pointed to the south. And they would pour blood all over it. They would pour the blood on the horns of the altar. And these horns were pointed north, south, east, and west. North, south, east, and west. And what it symbolized is that no matter where we are, that the blood is going to be applied. And it is going to be sent north, south, east. 
and west, that it doesn't matter where my children are in the tribes. It doesn't matter where they're seated. It doesn't matter where they're slumbering, that the blood is going to the north, the blood is going to the south, the blood is going to the east, and the blood is going to the west. That it doesn't matter where they run. It doesn't matter where they're being. It doesn't matter where they are right now, that the blood that has been applied has been applied in their direction, and it is running in their direction. Now, this may not mean a whole lot to people who don't have prodigal children, but listen, those of you that have prodigal children, it doesn't matter how far they run. The blood is in their direction. It doesn't matter how far they go. The blood is in their direction. We are pointed at the horns of the altar that the blood is running in their direction. It's coming to them. It's coming to them. It's coming to them. I want to throw my shoe. Come on, Trey. And it happens at the altar. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not a place for problems. This is a place for offerings. I'm about to get ahead of myself. Romans chapter 12, we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable unto God, here it is, which is our reasonable. What God is requiring is not unreasonable. It's not unreasonable for you to live single your entire life. It is not unreasonable for those of you who are married to remain married your entire life. It is not unreasonable if he requires you to give him whatever. It is our reasonable, one translation says, act of worship. happens at the altar my prayer is that this house is a house where you know you can find him and he can find you if I'm already his. Is it really a sacrifice? If he already owns all of me, then what he asks can't be unreasonable. And it all happens at the altar. Now, some of you may not understand this. But it was at the altar that I got saved. It was at the altar that I got called into ministry. It was at the altar that God birthed this thing called Judah in mine and my wife's hearts, spirits. It was at the altar where God healed me of the wound from the rejection of my father. 
It was at the altar where he restored things in me that I didn't know I could ever be healed from. It's at his altar where I found peace. Full transparency. There have been certain moments over the last 10 and a half years, 11 years now of this church that I have sat with such pain, rejection, some of you may not be able to handle this, but anger. And I'll have to get out of my office and in this dark room, come get right here and be reminded and allow Holy Spirit to reconcile in me. See, long before I ever told them I forgave them, I had already been right here. Say, Lord, if you'll help me, I want to live with a forgiving spirit. Seasons where I would watch my children sit in great pain. And I can lay in bed and counsel them. But there are some things my words will never do. But I'd have to come here and go, God, they're yours before they're mine. There are moments and there have been seasons when I didn't know what to pray. But I'd find my way to the horn of the altar. Okay, here we go. I'm going to say it anyway. Even to this day, most likely, there are people that are waiting on me to fail and screw this up. And I'm going to let you in on a secret. I spent the first three years of this church trying to prove people wrong versus prove God right. But I found a secret. And luckily I got trained by a great grandmother and a grandmother and a grandfather and a mother and a dad in certain seasons, my dad. That if you can find your way to where he is, Pastor, I don't know that I agree. That's because you don't know what the altar does. As one thing dies, another thing begins to live. As one thing is sacrificed, another thing is elevated. And it happens at the altar. I can't stay focused on what I put in the altar. I have to remain focused that the one who's receiving the sacrifice is going to be lifted and where he is, there I can be also. That as one thing's dying, another thing is being resurrected in me. Somebody who feels his glory, just thank him in this room.
Just thank him in this room. Somebody take a minute and just thank him that the blood is being applied at the altar. Every person that has a prodigal loved one ought to just thank him right now that the blood is being shot right up north, right up down south, right to the east coast, all the way to the west, that it has global implications. You ought to just thank him. Thank you for the altar. Thank you. Thank you for the altar. I'm done right here. This thing called the altar is massive. Y'all, we started out having it up here this morning, and there was no room for the praise team. You don't understand. There would have been room for the praise team in the altar. Nobody thought to get in the altar. They only wanted to be around it. But for redemption and ransom, for substitution and reconciliation, there are parts of you that are going to have to be sacrificed. And while it may die, something else. Let me give you, let me give you New Testament. Nevertheless, not I but that Christ made within me. It's big, it's bulky. It's a massive piece of furniture. It didn't fit on the stage. Because the altar is not about the stage. It's about the sacrifice. They say that all six other pieces of furniture can fit inside this altar. One of those other pieces of furniture, and we're getting there, is the Ark of the Covenant, which is representation of the glory of the Lord. Hear me. The glory of the Lord, the Ark of the Covenant, is not bigger than the altar. And the Ark of the Covenant is the end. But you'll never get to the glory if you don't start at the altar. Everybody wants big glory. But there will never be big glory without having big altars. If you don't have a big altar, you'll never have a big encounter. But you find me a place that has big altars and you'll find a place that has big encounters with the glory of the Lord. I don't know if you have a desire, but I say, Lord, find this place to be filled with your glory and your sons and daughters to be dwelling.
in your courts, oh God. Stand and lift your hands and worship all over this room. Somebody lift up worship all over this room.
before we leave. I, I just, I, I, we're going to have to just figure this out. In that first service, I heard the Lord say that today I want to set into order disorder. That I want to put into order those things that are disordered. In the first service, we couldn't get beyond this and the elders were to lay hands. I don't feel that in this service. What I feel in this service is that somebody needs to come by. Grab hold to the horns of the altar. Yeah. As these services progress, some of y'all some of not going to understand this. You're too young. But we used to have a song back in the day, and it said, Order my steps in your word, in your word. Lead me, guide me. Send your anointing. Oh, Lord, I pray. All right, if you start playing, then we're going to get in trouble. Somebody in this room needs to come by. <laughs> and grab hold of the horns of the altar. the Lord saying if you're dealing with a skin disorder come grab hold of the horn of the altar if you're dealing thank you Holy Spirit if you're dealing with a sleeping disorder I dare you to come grab hold of the horns of the altar if you're dealing with or your loved one is dealing with an eating disorder can be reconciled at the altar. If you're here today and you're confronted and you're dealing with a mental disorder, today is a day for him to order your steps in your word. Slip up your hands, oh God, just let everybody who feels prompted of the Lord today. If you have a prodigal, if there's a prodigal son, a prodigal daughter, that you believe in God to send his blood to, I just encourage you to grab hold of the horns of the altar. Oh, oh, please order my steps. In your world.
disorder and the Holy Spirit of God said to me I didn't come to comfort you in your infirmity I didn't come to comfort you with your disorder I didn't come to make your disorder a little bit better I came to set into order those things that have come out of order and I don't know who this is for today but I feel the Holy Ghost telling me that God is wanting to align your mind back into order. To align your health back into order. To align your marriage back into order. To, oh God have mercy. To get your skin back in order. To get your eating back in order. To get your health back in order. Y'all don't hear what I'm saying. To, to put, I'm not here to put your disorder at ease. I'm here to align it again. scripture the steps of a good man are come on class the steps of a righteous person is and I hear the Lord saying I hear the Lord saying stop looking for elevators stop looking for me to supernaturally wipe it all away I want you to walk 
this thing out. Oh God. There are some mountains you can speak to and then there's some mountains you're going to have to climb. Because he's trying to take you to another level. He's trying to elevate your thinking and your trust. And if he removes every tough season, thank you, Holy Spirit, you won't learn to trust in him. Stop looking for the easy way out. He, he is not your genie in a bottle. And these are not three wishes. He has ordered your steps. He's ordered your steps. So let me help you. Even if you have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, He's ordered your steps. Even if He has to get you out of the boat and walk on the water, He's ordered your steps. His steps of a good man have been ordered by the Lord. Some of you are in very difficult, thank you Holy Spirit, but necessary seasons. For if I never had a problem, then I wouldn't know that he could solve it. And I wouldn't know what faith in God could really do. But let me tell you how you make it. You grab hold of the horns of the altar. And like Jacob, you wrestle if you have to. And you say, I will not let go. Until you bless me. I will not let go until you turn it around. I will not let go. Until you give me the peace and assurance. We're not moving from here. If your glory is not the part. redemption, for your ransom, for your substitution and your reconciliation before we leave this place just tell him thank you just tell him thank you if you're thankful that he's bringing order to disorder just tell him thank you just tell him thank you Oh, it's about to mess me. I'm looking at a 17-year-old little girl, young lady grabbing the horn of an altar. God raise a generation. God raise up a generation that are altar dwellers. Raise up daughters of intercession. God. 
I'm looking at married couples that are grabbing the horns of the altar. God raised marriages to be altar dwellers. I'm looking at parents of prodigals that are up here in the horns of the altar. God. So be it unto me. Somebody say amen. So be it unto me. So be it unto me. I was looking for you. You glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Let me do this. I'm going to turn it over to you. I don't know where my prayer team is, but it's your prayer team, your side. Come, come meet me in this altar. This is your future. There will come a day when your life will be required and there will be a fire to consume it. This is not scare tactics. This is reality. But God has provided a substitution For without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission or forgiving of sin. And I want you to hear my heart today. I feel prompted of the Holy Spirit. I know I've got a whole other service sitting out there waiting. But some of you may not have tomorrow. Somebody in this room may not have tomorrow. It's not about church. This is not a religious preference. I don't care if you're the president or a prostitute. We all have a savior. And we all have to come to an altar. And you can be the president of the world or you can be the worst prostitute in the city. And it doesn't matter what status you have. An altar is required. This is what I love about Jesus. 
is he's not impressed with any of us. And if you're in this room today, hear my heart. It's based upon his word. Your life will be required. And there will be a fire to consume it. And it's known as hell. But that is not the plan of God for your life. That is not what he came to do. He is not a judge because he loves to judge. He is holy. And just like you can choose to be his, you can choose to not be his. Yeah. I heard somebody say, what kind of loving God would send me to hell? Let me tell you something. God is not sending anybody to hell. We do that ourselves. And I felt arrested in this service to echo a very familiar passage of scripture. Choose you this day who you'll serve. If you're in this room today and you're far from God, you're not in a, I don't, I believe the easiest place to go to hell is in church. It's the easiest place to go to hell because you think because I'm doing the right things that I'm accepted. This is, this is the easiest place to be deceived. Because you think because I lift my hands and I say all of this, then obviously I'm okay. That's not the case. I have to accept the sacrifice, the substitution Jesus and what he did for me. That's how I'm saved. By grace, through faith, in his substitution for my life. Period. you're in this room today and you haven't asked Jesus to save you today's the day to choose or if you're in this room and you once had that relationship but you fell away from God today's the did you read the sign when you walked through the double doors welcome home it's the announcement to the prodigal you made it to his presence. It's the announcement to the sojourner you now found refuge. It's announcement, it's announcement to the broken and the weary and the wounded. You're safe. Requires accepting the substitute. If you were born and raised and you went to public school, Everybody loved the substitute because it was easier than the regular teacher. You wanted the substitute because it was easier than the regular teacher. Y'all, the substitute is easier. Because it may require sacrifice here, but it is a party up there. I would hate for you to party down here and sacrifice down there. Oh, that's a sermon by itself. Let me shut up. Choose you this day. 
Heads are up and eyes are open. I'm going to let you in on a secret. If you don't have the courage to walk in front of people who have done the very thing you've done, you'll never have courage to stand in the middle of a storm and face your giant. We're all on the same team. Pastor, you don't understand. I got some things to get right and then I'll do it. You don't get right and come to God. Yes. You come to God. I'm old school. And won't he make you clean? Inside. So with heads up and eyes open. Man, I feel arrested by the Holy Spirit in this moment. Somebody needs to come home today. There's a resurrection moment for somebody in this room. And I'm not going to embarrass you. Because this is not an embarrassing moment. But there's powerful men and women of God that will lead you in a very personal salvation declaration before you leave this place. If that's you, I want you to get out of your seat and come up here to this room. Pastor, you are not making it easy. Oh, trust me, the substitute is easy. I'm gonna wait five seconds. Let me give you an indicator. If your palms are all sweaty and your heart is like beating out of his chest and you're feeling all kinds of, oh God, okay? That's real. I'm just real talk. This is real. But you're like, oh my goodness. Oh. You, you kind of feel like you're going to throw up. Let me tell you what that is. That's the Holy Spirit trying to love the hell out of you. That's what it is. He's just trying to love the hell out of you. That's what he's doing. The spirit is drawing you, and the thing that's binding you is saying, no, 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 no. That's what that is. I'm going to wait. I'm going to count down five. And then we're going to move on. Because let me tell you something. This is the greatest decision I've ever made. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. It's the greatest decision. It's the greatest decision. And I don't know why, but I feel it in my heart. It's time for somebody to make that same great decision again. Somebody has been backslidden. Today it's time to come home. Five. If that's you, get out of your seat. Five. Just worship, just worship, just worship, we're just worshiping, we're just worshiping. Four. Three. I know there's more than one. I know there's more than one. Three. Two. One. Anybody else? I'm giving you a moment to move. Giving you a moment to move. Father, we thank you for this day. 
your goodness, your mercy, and your grace. Thank you for the privilege of being yours. Thank you that you have redeemed us. Thank you that you have ransomed us. Thank you that you became the substitute for us. And thank you that you have reconciled us back to the Father. We love you. We honor you. In Jesus' name. Somebody give one last praise to the Lord. One last praise.